Debbie, and welcome to Jubilee Fellowship Church. We know that you could be anywhere this weekend, but we are so glad that you chose to be here with us. JFC is a multi-site church with four different campuses around the Denver metro area. We are located in Castle Rock, Highlands Ranch, Lone Tree, and Lakewood. We truly are one church with many locations. If you are new with us or looking for more information, visit our website and be sure to click on the email newsletter tab to receive information about all the great things that are happening. Thank you for joining us. Okay, I uh, want to welcome all of our campuses, not just Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, those that are live streaming us, those that will listen later on the next couple of weeks, however you tune in, however you're a part of the greater JFC family, we want to welcome you and we're glad that you are a part of it. It is the final message in our discipleship, discipleship series, say that real fast three times, discipleship series, 20, I could get in trouble with that one, 2028, I'm going to move on from that one real fast, did not catch that when I was studying. Um, we want to uh, welcome you to the final series in 2028, it's our discipleship message and teaching that we've been doing, gotten a lot of feedback on it, want to uh, take a moment right now, uh, last weekend Pastor uh, Dan taught, did a phenomenal job in, in bringing, um, I guess, more, Here, here's the issue and what we'll try to cover today, when you're talking about discipleship, some of it is so like, okay, I, I get the concept of it, but how do I walk it out? What do I do? What does a disciple look What are the traits of a disciple or the fruit in the life of a disciple? What does somebody do that's going to be a disciple? And I think that's where uh, Dan helped to attach a lot of meat to the bone last week. I hope to be able to take us a little further in that, talking about the marks of a disciple. I think that there are certain things. While it's not cookie cutter, while uh, every disciple is going to come from a different place, be at a different place, God's going to meet you where you are in space and time. He's got different things for all of us. There are certain things that mark a disciple. I was, um, I was thumbing through a book yesterday that had to do with um, uh, religion in prison. That is sort of a very boring title, but it had to, had to do with the shape of um, the, the word penitentiary. You all know that that comes from the idea of a person who is repentant or a penitent person. So prison was not supposed to be just a punishment. It was supposed to be a place where people were reformed. And uh, years and years ago, our society had the idea, our government in particular, that when a person went into prison, you would apply the idea of, of religion to it, of Christ to it, so that a person could be changed while in prison, so that when they come out, they would be different and not refault and end up back in the same situation. So there was a study that was done recently, and a guy who got his doctoral, uh, he did his thesis on religion in the prison system today. And um, he just interviewed all sorts of faiths, all sorts of walks, and how much influence religion is having in the penal system right now. And one of the things that he brought up uh, in quoting one of the prisoners, the guy said that in prison, everybody has a quote-unquote Jesus experience. He said for some, it helps them to get out of prison quicker. For some, it just keeps them out of trouble. For some, it, there's a phone in the chapel, and so they're allowed to use the phone if they go to uh, chapel. So he said there's all sorts of reasons. He said, but here's the bottom line. The ones who are serious about it, he said there are certain marks. He said it changes a person's life. And there are those who talk about it with no change and those who don't have to talk about it because there is a change. 
And I would say that there's something about that when I was reading it yesterday that I thought probably applies towards this message on discipleship, that there's supposed to be a change in our lives. Now, it's not cookie cutter. I think that that's where religion comes in and where, where accidental Pharisees are birthed at, is that we try to, to make it all uniform. You dress this way. You talk this way. You don't touch this. You don't taste that. You don't drink this. You only have certain things in your refrigerator, the car that you drive, the house you live, and you know, on and on and on. It can go in any direction. You can take that as far as you want it to go. You recognize that, right? Even the way you comb or style your hair. How many of you were alive or were raised in a church where they dressed a particular way? And it was, it was the line you towed. It was the way you looked and the way you dressed. And that singled you out as a disciple. Well, I would say to you, that's not at all what we're trying to uh, cover in this. But there are life-changing events that come with a relationship with Christ. Things that mark us, things that change us. We don't think the same way anymore. Do you get that? And, and because we don't think the same way, then we don't talk the same way. We don't act the same way. A disciple then literally would, would become, when it comes to the things of this world, would be a steward as opposed to just, just uh, uh, someone consuming. You would recognize everything in your hand. You, you, it's been given to you by God, and it goes back to him, and you'll give an answer for it, as opposed to a person who just thinks, hey, I'm here by accident, so whatever I get and however I spend my life is all about me and how much I can consume and how much I can, I can just enjoy. And that, that actually, the Bible tells us, that actually marks the last days. People who are lovers of pleasure and lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. So there are things that, that we can say, look, if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, there are changes that happen, but I think we need to be careful. It's not really appearance issues, and it's not, God writes his law on our heart, so it wouldn't be the way that we dress, or it wouldn't be the places that we necessarily go to, or what we eat or drink. It would be the way we live our life because the Holy Spirit said, here's how you're supposed to do it. That marks a disciple. So I guess with, with that in mind, let's launch into this. Uh, I, I put as an overriding thought, we've said this several times in this series, Jesus doesn't need fans, he needs disciples. He doesn't need fans, he needs disciples. Uh, I base some of that off John uh, chapter 6, later in that chapter, it's a long chapter, but later in the chapter, the Bible says that Jesus had many followers, and he begins to teach on communion. Uh, maybe you remember the scripture, uh, you, you, unless you can eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't come after me. The Bible says that, that many of the disciples at that point turned away and left Christ at that spot. They walked away from him. And, and I, I think it gives the idea that Jesus, the Bible says he knew all things, but I think that shocked him a little bit. I think that that was a little unnerving. Not that Christ was, was not all God and, and couldn't handle every situation, but I think the flesh part of it. Here are people who are confessing, I love you and I'm with you and I'll follow you to the grave. And then suddenly he tells them a difficult thing and they turn, most of them, turn and walk away. You have to think that would be unnerving to a person. And I think that falls in the idea he doesn't need fans, people who politely applaud at every miracle. He needs people who are committed to the cause through thick and thin. People who are saying to him, it doesn't, my own comfort is not the issue. I'll try that one more time. My own comfort is not the issue. So my Lakewood people went crazy, Castle Rock screaming. Listen, Highlands Ranch is happy, low trade. To our own comfort. We don't follow him because it makes us comfortable. How about this? We don't follow him because what's in it for us. Boy, there's a thought. It's not about what's in it for us. Maybe that's not even the question that we ask. It's what makes you happy. I guess that really is what a disciple is. It's asking what makes him happy, not what makes me happy. So Jesus says, unless you are willing to come after and do what I do, you can't be my disciple. The Bible says that many turned away from him at that point. Jesus looks 
at the 12. If it didn't unnerve him, I don't think he says this. And maybe it was for their own recognition, whatever. We can debate the point. But bottom line, he says to the 12, are you going to go away too? In my mind, you, you only say that out of concern at that point. If you're sure about it, why even bring it up? Maybe there was something there that even Jesus was like, why does it come down to this? That if it becomes difficult, I really don't have anybody? I don't think that it was the get-off point for him at all. He's going to do what he has to do, bottom line. But gosh, having people around you, doesn't it make a difference? So he asked the 12, are you going to turn away at this point? Remember Peter, who always tended to, to speak before he thought, just speaks up quickly. Sometimes he was right, sometimes he was wrong. When he was right, he was right on. When he was wrong was way off. In this case, he's right on. So he tells Jesus, um, where would we go to? What would we go back to? You have the words of real life. I think that that's a powerful statement right there. That's the difference between a fan and a disciple. Someone who says, I, you're about, it's not about what you do for me. It's about me serving you. It's about my commitment to you. And yeah, right, there's something in it for us. How about eternal life? And how, how about the Holy Spirit? How about the promises of God? But how about bottom line? Here the disciples recognize it's not about what makes me comfortable. I'm going after what makes you comfortable, what you need. All right, so let me go then. The marks of a disciple. Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 22. This goes back to the very beginning when Jesus found his disciples. Reads this way in Matthew's accounting of a transaction. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. I think it's interesting that he didn't promise them wealth, didn't promise them riches, didn't promise them fame. He promised them to make them fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. I, I just, uh, that, that, what was it about Jesus that could cause a man or a woman to drop everything that they're doing, everything that they know, everything their, their, their very way of supporting themselves, and leave it and follow him? Yeah. So, like, what, what is it about him? What is it about him today that still causes people to do that? So, man, if we expose this the right way, then at the very end of this message, we hold Jesus up, and he's calling you, come follow me, and something in you gets to make a decision. I want to do that, or I don't want to do that. But there shouldn't be any middle ground on that. Jesus shouldn't leave you lukewarm after an experience with him. Be hot, be cold, go forward, go backward, but don't sit there and go, oh, that was nice. That's a fan. He doesn't need fans. He needs disciples. So I will make you fishers of men. And once they left their nets, followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. All right, taking just these few verses right here, let me build a case for the marks of a disciple. The first one just simply is this. A disciple hears Christ call them personally. Okay, here's a fan. A fan follows because a crowd goes in a direction. People become famous today because of word of mouth. It spreads. People get excited about something. Miley Cyrus. Who really wants to be a disciple? It's a crowd, yes or no? It's, a, it's the excitement around a crowd. People follow because of a crowd. All right, so he, we hear here in this particular passage, Jesus calls each of us personally to be a disciple. You've got to hear him call you personally. The need to hear for yourself. 
whether it's man or whether it's God. All right, I had somebody years ago when I was a younger, not young, younger <laughs> disciple. I had a guy tell me years ago when it came to teaching, when it came to just as a pastor, this is what he said. He said, if a man talks you into something, another man could come along and talk you out of it. But if God says something to you, it settles the issue in your heart and no one can take it away from you. That's a disciple. Can a, a person who's a disciple can say, I had this, this experience where God spoke to me, so it doesn't matter what else happens in this world, I'm holding on to this thing right here. Whereas then here's the difference between those who are a fan. If a person talks you into it, oh, come with us, follow the crowd, this is exciting. As soon as the feelings go away, the crowd fades, and you part with the crowd on to the next exciting thing. Yes, no, it's the way it works. So the difference is hearing Jesus call you for yourself. All right, here, here then, Jesus teaches this in John chapter 10, my sheep know my, what is it? Uh, you know, he didn't say, my sheep know my word. Disciples do know the word of God, but there's another level here that Jesus teaches. Hear for yourself. I know one of the ways to hear is through the word of God, but even just reading, it's not what's being talked about here. You read the Bible to hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. You ever had that experience when you're reading it, and the Holy Spirit grabs you, shakes you, and says, this is for you? Have you ever had that? The revelation. Okay, that's what we're talking about right here. You hear Christ call you personally. It will never work for you long term if you're going off of what someone else said. And then here's the weird thing. Even if you say amen to this message and you clap and you're in agreement with it, it's still at the very best. It's still secondhand revelation. Do you agree with that? Now, can the Holy Spirit speak right now and you hear something? Yes, but unless you have that experience, even if you just listen and you agree with everything I said, it's still secondhand revelation and that's not good enough. It's not good enough. Hear for yourself. I would tell every pastor in this room, that's the difference between a successful ministry long term. If you're doing it because uh, it's a way to make a living, or I fell into it, or it seemed like I just wanted to help people, all of they can be noble purposes. None of it's good enough. What was your experience when God spoke to you? Why are you in the ministry today? If you don't have a God experience that got you in the ministry, that called you, that set you aside, that said, this is what I want you to... I'm talking to pastors right now. If you didn't have that experience, man, you, you're not fit for long-term ministry. You're a cruel man. Are you going to turn and leave me at this point too? <laughs> Thank you, Dan. All right, let me, so let me give you the second one then. Based on this passage of Scripture, uh, a disciple leaves the old, quote-unquote, life behind. Okay, so what, what would you try to say about that? Let me give you a working definition of the old life. I think my favorite Scripture, I've said this many times in our church, my favorite Scripture in the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That whole chapter intrigues me. Everything about that chapter probably is, is along the lines of Everything that I preach and teach in ministry probably fits into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. There's so much there. there there's, there's, there's such richness to be mined from that particular chapter. And I think it probably set up for me um, how I view ministry. You know, part of it says we don't view any man by the flesh, but we only know them through the Spirit. I mean, how, isn't that the way we should deal with everybody? Not to know them by the flesh. How many of you want to be known by your flesh? You want to be known by what God says about you, what God's done for you, right? All right so it goes a little bit further. Uh, all of this is from God. 
All, so this isn't man's idea, it's God's idea. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Okay, yes or no, that's a clear passage on what happens when a person is born again. The old life is gone and the new life comes. All right, so let me make this statement because I think this is important hearing this. Um, a disciple has the mark of leaving the old life behind. I think today, or maybe in modern times, the church has preached that message really well. Leave the old behind. Leave the old behind. To do what? So we preach a lot about getting rid of the sin in your life or getting rid of the old man in your life. I got that. The old man's been crucified. We're supposed to die to him, but we're supposed to live to Christ. We're supposed to embrace a new nature and a new life. So the Bible, the gospel's not just about, I got to get away from this old stuff. It's supposed to be the focus of, God's got a brand new thing for me to do now. And that's where the life of God is at. So, so many people are so busy trying to kill the old man. You don't need to kill him. Let Jesus nail him to the cross and embrace the new life that God has for you. Walk towards the new thing, man. So, so much of our time is wasted on worrying about all of this. In fact, when prayer is taught, so I'm not here. I know specifically our prayer ministry, they have this issue down and have it well. But so many places prayer is taught, confess, confess, confess. I, I get confession. But confession should be such a minimal part of your prayer life. It should be based on the fact, okay, I confess. When we confess our sin, is it for his sake or our sake anyway? He's already forgiven all sin, correct? Jesus doesn't ever have to come back again, right? It's all been dealt with. It's all been nailed to the cross of Christ. It's all been taken out of the way. All right, so we confess our sin to get it off of our chest. But most of our time, people get so caught up in confessing and spending their time on the negative and the old man. Dude, get it off and then move into the new stuff. Live your life like Jesus has forgiven you, not like he needs to forgive you. That is good. That is the beginning of new life. So I would say a mark of a disciple is not simply that they just don't do. A mark of a disciple is that they do, that they're moving forward, that they embrace what God has for them, that they know what God has for them. Dude, if you don't know, how do you go do what you don't know? Some are like, I'm really good at it. Watch how I live. Yes, that, therein is the problem. Therein is the problem because we know we should do something and something gets confused with activity. Yep. So we got a lot of people who are doing activity. What, what's the old cliche? Have you learned, have you lived long enough to recognize that busyness and purpose are not synonymous? You can be busy and not be on purpose. Ask anybody today, what are you doing? What will you hear? I'm really busy. With what? I have no idea. So my time is just all taken up though. So on purpose. For the kingdom, man, what is it that God wants you to do? That, that's, that's knowing. So it's not just dealing with the old stuff. I, maybe this is it. Maybe a trap of the devil is to get us so focused on the old stuff, you can't deal with your old stuff anyway. If you could, you don't need a savior. If you could do it, if you can take care of it, if you can clean yourself, if you can, if you can outthink your way, or out, uh, what, what's self control? If you can out self control your issue on sin, you don't need a savior. So maybe that's, maybe that's where the devil has believers waste so much time is dealing with this. How about this? Move towards this and watch how this drops away from you. Move towards what God has for you and watch how this loses its grip on your life. Did you get that? All right, so maybe, maybe moving then. 
towards this. I put this as important. How do you know it's important? Because it's in important right here. It says, exchange the old for new life, not just leave the old behind. What is the new life? 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, and the new has come. All right, it's, it's as simple as this. Every campus right now, every campus that hears me today, answer this question. How many of you are a new creation? Answer that question. Just, just This is not rhetorical. I want to know. All right, so if you're a new creation, the work of God in your life, the work of Christ, is that the old has gone and the new has come. That's the work of God. Embrace the new. I don't know what the new is. Ask the question. Seek, knock, press. Get after it, man. Find out what it is that God has for you. Do that thing. All right, let me give you the last one. So maybe this is the one then that just sort of ties it all together in my mind. So the marks of a disciple from Matthew 4, 18 through 22, they hear Christ call them personally. They leave the old life behind, embrace the new life. Here's the third one. They simply follow Jesus. Now, again, I think that in our series we've talked, okay, here's what a disciple is. If you boil it all down, they follow Jesus. They look like Jesus. They're walking after Jesus, right? Got that? What does it mean? So I think Pastor DeMay did a, an excellent job last week of attaching Okay, here's the practical. Here's what it looks like. Here's how we do it. Here's, so he used my relationship with him, his relationship with Bob. I understand that when that was said, Castle Rock, or not Castle Rock, actually, Castle Rock should have gone crazy, but Highland Ranch went crazy. So, ah, it works. We see it. It's a working model. It does work. It really does work. I think uh, as I teach this, and just look out amongst the crowd that's listening to me right now, there are tons of people in this room who I personally disciple who I have spent years with and time with, who, whose story doesn't need to be public, but I have come into their life at a certain level, and I can say, like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't follow me just in what I do, but follow me as I follow. If I'm doing it like Jesus does it, if you can see that, then follow me in this thing right here. I can think, man, I've done that in people's lives in multiple ways. It does work. All right, so, so we have, an, all right, we say that, people are, right, how does it work for me, though? What do I do? Good for you. Yay. But what do I do? All right, all right. so then follow Jesus. Let me make it practical uh, for you. What does this look like over the long run? All right, when I was studying, I saw some, I've read this scripture a million times. I bet all of you have too. But I saw two reasons that disciples fall away from Christ. Jesus taught this. It goes back to the parable of the sower. And you remember the parable of the sower. Interestingly enough, let me just hit on these, these two things real quick. Um, Jesus gives four examples of the seed being cast into the ground. Okay, so, so if you take each of those as a percentage, each one is 25%. Okay, this is interesting. 75 of the 100% didn't even take root. Or if it did, it was very quick, shot up and sprang, fell right back down. All right, so here, here, if Jesus had a three out of four failure rate, what do you think the failure rate for us might be? Nine out of 10? All right, let's boil it down this way. So then it becomes a numbers game. So even if you're planting seed, it simply strictly becomes, in some reference, about numbers. You have to do it enough to get a harvest. If we're thinking, yeah, you know, it doesn't work for me. Dude, if you've only shared two times, you're still at the failure rate. Uh, that was good. Gabe, thank you for catching that right there. Nobody else caught it. But if you, if you shared three times, you're still at the failure. You've got to share at least four times to even be in the ballpark. And if you go off of odds... Just the odds are, on average, it's three out of four times that it fails. Gosh, how many times do you have to actually do it before you realize what an odd is? 
All right, so if he has a failure rate, three out of four of the seed that's cast falls to the ground, doesn't bring anything back. But then he says this, of the one that does, the 25% that does, how much of a harvest did it bring? Does anybody remember? How many fold? 30, 60, and 100 fold. Listen, if you could get the 100 fold, all you need is to hit one every now and then. That it? Well, I, it was for me. It was enlightening for me. <laughs> I end up, I was, I, I end up, every time I get my hair cut, I end up in the most deep theological discussions that I have at any given time. I am not kidding you. And here, here's the deal. Uh, if you know the person's name who cuts your hair, I bet you pay a lot for a haircut. If you don't know their name, you probably pay 15 bucks. I never know the fame of the person who's cutting my hair from time to time. I, there's always a new person who cuts my hair. I go the cheap route. But every time, I have the most interesting conversations that I get. And this last time was a gal who happened to be, uh, she had relatives who know my father-in-law's family, Chris's family, really well. It was, in, I mean, small world that we end up in. But she tells me, in the space of a 20-minute haircut, she tells me she spent five years in prison, She's in rehab right now. She's recovering, trying to stay out of prison. What kind of prison ministry does your church have? Do you guys have any ministry to help recovering addicts? And we go through this whole thing. And then we start talking about, does Jesus set people free? Well, you can't have that conversation in a barbershop without everybody in the barbershop <laughs> hearing what you're saying and weighing in on it at some level. Yes, no? I so I, this is the most interesting thing. So say all this to say to you, the bottom, bottom line, casting out the seed, I don't think we should even pick the people necessarily. Let God pick the conversation and be willing to step into it when it happens. Just be available. So here, we hear, we hear I, I told our teaching team this. I think that so many of our people, when they go, how does it happen for me? Here's it. They hear our stories and they think, oh, you're a pastor. Of course it happens that way. You walk into a restaurant and the guy asks you, do you want a table for four? And can you tell me about Jesus? So you tell them about Jesus, the whole restaurant gets saved. Oh, yes. And then they're all sitting on the front row. Good for you, pastor. How about me? Okay, here's how it works. Just tell God you want to be available. Just tell him, here I am, send me, and watch what happens. He will open conversation. So, well, what do I need to study? What do I, Jesus said this, don't worry about what you'll say, don't worry about what you'll do, step into the moment, let the Holy Spirit move. Amen. Just be available, man. All right, so say that. All right, so, so back to this then. If, if Jesus uses the parable of the sower to teach us on three out of four don't work, but the fourth one can be a 30, 60, or 100-fold return, then there's one other thing that I saw there that I thought was really interesting. And here's what it was. Um, the two reasons disciples fall away, according to Jesus, using the parable of the sower, number one, trouble. When trouble comes along, it causes the seed or the root of the seed to abort in a manner of speaking. I don't mean that in a, 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 an ugly way. I don't mean it in a, a, you know, I'm not trying to be flippant with that, but the idea that something is taking root and then it suddenly disconnects from the source of life. What was it? So the Bible says that trouble can be one of those things. Trouble can come along in a believer's life, and trouble can be so great, we get our eyes on the trouble. We get it off of Jesus. And the enemy, yes or no, one common fatality for all humans is that trouble comes our way from time to time. You cannot protect yourself from it. You cannot eliminate it. There is no way in the world you can get insurance to keep it from happening to your life. Trouble happens to us. 
All right, so the difference maybe between a person who long-term makes it versus a person who walks away may be what they do with the trouble when it happens in their life. You're going to focus on the trouble or you're going to focus on God when it happens. Some people see it as the proof that God is not faithful to them. So it's not, what is it the proof of? That you have a real enemy in your life. So, what, so what's the purpose of trouble? The purpose of trouble would be that it can cause you to dig deeper and to know God in a way you could never know him without the trouble, but it also runs the risk here just like free choice. You have the free choice to love God and follow after him. Free choice also comes with the risk. You go do your own thing, doesn't it? And who gives that right? God does. All right, so trouble then becomes one of those things. Trouble comes along in a person's life. Dude, you can focus on the trouble. You can focus all the stuff that happens to you. So I'm sitting here, and I, I, I'm seeing one of our people. And I know um, when, when you think in terms of, of stuff that can happen, Ben Binger. I, I mean, the guy's brand new on staff here. How long? Just a few months, five months. He gets a motorcycle to be a disciple like his pastor. No. <laughs> And on a, an innocent drive home from the office, trouble comes his way. It wasn't just trouble like, hey, I got a claim on a motorcycle. It was a series. It, it was a, it was a, <laughs> a several-year cycle of trouble. Is that a fair way to say it? it? It was ups and downs. And I know, just without exposing any things, the times where the enemy wanted to steal the ministry from you, your life from you, your health, your peace, your walk with God. So, I mean, across the board, so, the difference, okay? In the middle of it, I, I know there were times of great doubt and times of great just questioning, where is God in all this? And if God loves me, why does this happen? So those are things that are hard to answer. You know, here's the truth. I have to use this in funerals at times. Don't go there. Sometimes there's not a better answer than that. Because if God doesn't answer the question, what makes us think that we can answer it going down a road that God hasn't told us to go down? So we go down that way. Why is this happening to me? I don't know. But then here's the bigger question. Do you still trust God? Do you still love God? Do you, do you hold on in spite of all the difficulties and all the odds and all the things that are going on in your life? Yeah. Yeah. Get to the other side of it. Man, are there any rewards for doing that? Huge. Massive. Incredible. So the best thing that you can do for that person, point them towards God in the future. That there is a future. That not all everything is lost. But you can't answer every question at the time. I, 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 I'm getting off on some things here, but let me, let me, let me bring it back. So, so trouble is one of the things that can happen. Then the other one says, here's, here's what Jesus taught. Here's a reason that disciples fall away. Deceit. So Jesus taught this when it comes to the parable of the sower. I don't know if you remember this. He said, when the seed is given and a person doesn't immediately grab onto it, believe it, take hold of it, put it away, who comes to steal it? The enemy comes to steal the seed. All right, so here's how do you know if the devil's ever stolen seed from you? Listen to this. You'll have a memory of what God said. You'll have a remembrance of a promise, but you will not have any evidence of it in your life. He stole that thing from you. When something is stolen from us, I want you to think about it for a minute. It's not as though we never knew we had it. That's, what, that's how you know something's been stolen. You know it's gone. 
You have a memory of it, but you have no evidence of it in your life. Do you get it? Two things that Jesus taught can make a disciple fall away. The enemy can deceive a person. Has that ever happened? I mean, if you, we, so we're at a teaching team meeting um, today. And one of the things we talked about, there, it, it's not a new lie. The devil is not, <laughs> he's not an original devil. He's stolen every lie that's ever been, I mean, he, he doesn't come up with anything new. But here's a lie that he's told through the centuries that seems to be resurfacing right now in a younger generation is the idea, it, it, it was called theologically universalism. Universalism is the belief that everybody ends up in heaven, regardless of what they believe, what they do, all paths, if everybody was sincere, it all leads back to God. Here's the problem. That's not what Jesus taught. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound good? It all works out. But that's not what Jesus taught. Here's what he said. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no man can make it to the Father unless they come through me. Anybody that goes any other way is a thief. Hear the word. So the idea that it all works out in the end, that's not what Jesus taught. He didn't teach some form of universalism where it doesn't matter what you believe or what you choose. It very much matters. Deceit can come into the life of a believer. So we were dealing today with people who we know are believers, who the devil's deceiving right now into believing this sloppy form of love, that it all works out in the end. Dude, that's not how life works. It's not how God works, and it's not the way eternity works. So what would you like to be true? It doesn't even matter. What does God say is truth? That's what matters. What does a disciple do? He follows Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus, what he said, what he does, what he stated, here's what Jesus said. You're a disciple if you keep my commands. Well, I thought a disciple was just somebody who raises their hand and prayed a prayer. No, that makes you a believer. Is there a difference between a believer and a disciple? How about everything there is between being a baby and being an adult? Can I say that? So the Bible does teach very plainly. People can come into faith, the seed has been cast, and they embrace it. But unless there's growth, and it's a narrow path too, by the way. Here's what Jesus said. The road is narrow, and few there are who find it. Broad is the way to hell, and many people find it. It's an easy road to walk. It doesn't take any thinking or any calculation to walk this way. Listen, to be a disciple... Anyone who wants to be a believer, whosoever will, may come. Hear me on this. To be a disciple costs everything. Salvation is free and a work of God. Discipleship is a choice, and you lay down everything to make Him the Lord of your life. Hello. Boy, it's a narrow road then all of a sudden. It's broad, but it becomes very narrow. And then maybe that's the gospel that... I don't think Jesus backed away from that teaching. I don't think he was embarrassed about that or trying to attract the entire world. I think here's what he did. I'm doing this for everybody, but choose for yourself if you want to walk this way. Hmm. I put down then most important, let me give you the secret ingredient of discipleship. 
So when I was studying, I read this, and I thought, man, it always comes back to this. This is always true. And I'll use this to set up my ending. John 6.65. John 6.66 is Jesus talking about people that walk away from him, and the cost of discipleship, but he begins that process with this. This is Christ speaking. This is why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Unless you hear God call you, which comes down to the end of a message where we come to right now. Here's what I believe. The Holy Spirit is speaking right now. Some of you, you haven't ever made that decision. God is calling you. What do you want to do with it? I want to ignore it. You can. So can I come back next week? Yeah, absolutely. The message won't change. And there'll still be an invitation, follow him. But when you hear the Father call you, here's what Jesus said, today's the day of salvation. If you hear him call, today's the day of salvation. Don't put off till tomorrow. You don't wait. So let me be quiet for a moment. What's God saying? Where are you at? So maybe the first one is discipleship, or I'm sorry, salvation. So maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe you come to this place and, gosh, I do want to be saved. I, I, do, I want eternal life. I want to be forgiven. I need God's mercy. Okay? Ask for it. He'll give that to you today. So let me ask the next question. Let's say you've made that decision. Have you made him the Lord of your life? And are you a disciple? And are you walking after him? And is your life marked by the things that I talked about? So, man, I, Pastor, I don't know if it is. Do business today. Be serious today. Make a decision today. Embrace Him today. So put down in your notes, every campus, just listen up real quick. Maybe don't even look at your notes. Maybe look at me. So here would be my takeaway at each campus right now. So do you hear Christ call you? Because if you don't hear that for you, then you're part of a crowd, man. And God calls people still today by their name. He still calls them individually. He still calls them one-on-one. -on -one. He still speaks to a heart. And I may address thousands of people this weekend, but I'm talking to you. What's God saying to you? So the second takeaway then would simply be this. Are you counting the cost long-term what it means to be a disciple? So maybe for some of you this morning, it is as simple as just the salvation issue. I need God's mercy. We need that every day, and you'll need it every day forward from here. But if you've made that decision, then my next question is, what about the discipleship issue? So are you a fan? Or are you a disciple? Are you in it for what it does for you? Are you in it long-term because of who he is? Because you give yourself to him. And see, he's given your, his self to you here, you give yourself to him here. Does that make sense? So where are you at in this spectrum right here? So live your life just down here in this end. You stay as an infant. And the one thing I know about an infant, everything in life is about them. Rightfully so. But if you had a child 30 years ago and you're still changing their diaper and you still spoon feed them and you bathe them, you have to brush their teeth. 
if you have to tell them everything to do, there was a failure somewhere, wasn't there? A huge failure. How much of the church is like that? Everything is pastors doing everything for people. Let me brush your teeth. Let me comb your hair. Let me tell you how to spend your money. Let me tell you how to dress. Let me tell you where you can go, what you can do, what time you have to go to bed. And maybe that's because of this huge failure rate. What level do we want to grow up? Huh. Hmm. It's been, I'm trying to listen to the Holy Spirit right now. And here, I recognize that that's, that's a narrow message, isn't it? It gets narrow. I can't apologize for that or back away from that or teach another gospel. Here's the one that was delivered to us. So I think we begin to decide, you know, I want to grow up in all the things that God has for me. I don't want to just eat and drink milk. I want meat too. I don't want everybody to do everything for me. I want to be able to do for us. Doesn't that mark an adult? I've got a little bit of time. Let me just say this. I just, I'm drawn to it. I'm going to stay on it for a minute. In conversation with one of my children yesterday was the act of having to grow up. And what was said to me was, would you do this for me? And I had to say to that one, if you want to be an adult, if you want to be a spouse and you want to be a parent, get used to being the one who does for others, not who has things done for themselves. So at what level do you want, you want all the freedom that comes with this without the responsibility to, without the heaviness I thought serving Jesus was light. There is that, but there's a cost. So why are we told to count the cost? And to make sure you have enough to make the journey. Don't wage war until you know you can fight the battle. True? So I don't know why I'm stuck right here right now, but maybe this is a call to our church or to the church. I don't want to be treated like a child. Don't act like one. I want to be an adult. With that is not just I get the privileges of being an adult. It's a massive responsibility. Well, that's human wisdom, Pastor, and that's the way the world works. No. That's God's government in society. And everything would break down. Everything has broken down because people don't want to be adults. That is heavy. Think about our government. For, think about our presidents for a moment. So I'm not going back in time. Those who wanted to act like children while well, being the leader to go here means you give up certain rights here. Well... Seven of us are happy about that. Yeah, all right. 
So, Father, we just we come to you at that level. I feel like the Holy Spirit has something here for every person who hears this message. Um, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, let's listen real quick. Your length of time in knowing Christ is not necessarily, not necessarily the measure that we use by how mature you are. There are people who will listen to this message and who will hear it who have known Christ for a long time, but their maturity is shallow. And then there are those who have not known him for a long time, but their maturity is, it's not even commensurate with how long they've known him. They have matured miraculously fast. Man, what's the difference between those two things? I think it's the mark of discipleship. It's those who take up the cross and follow him, follow after him. I want all that you have for me. The cause of Christ is not about them. It's about him. It's a kingdom and a king, and we're his people. So let me just go with the two things that I had as the takeaway. And again, so even if you're like, I'm not sure that this message relates to me, could you just be praying for those that God might speak to right now? So the first one just simply is, if wherever you are, whatever campus, however you hear this message, whether you see it, you listen to it, you partake of it, here's my question to you. Do you know Christ? Have you called out to him? Have you asked God for his grace and mercy? Have you said, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior? Have you come to the point in your life where you recognize you can't do it and you need God? So if that's where you're at today, and irregardless of how long you've been at JFC or wherever you're at, if you've never said those words to God and you want to, just do me a favor, wherever you're at, whatever service, take the pressure off of it. No one's looking at you right now. I won't do anything to you. I won't pull you out. I won't make you march. I'm just asking the question. I'm facilitating something on behalf of the Holy Spirit. If you need salvation, you need God's grace, you need His mercy, and you say, Pastor, pray for me. That's what I need in my life. Would you just simply raise your hand, wherever you are, any of our campuses. No one's looking at you. No one's counting. We just want to find out. It's between you and God. All right, so you hold for a minute. Put your hand down. The second one, so you've made that decision. And where in space and time is irrelevant? Maybe it was years ago. Maybe it was last weekend. Maybe it was yesterday. I don't know. Maybe you're making the decision right now, and this next one would be just a logical step for you. So you've made the decision about salvation, but discipleship then becomes the issue. Do you hear Christ call you, follow me? So the question is now not what's in it for you, but looking to him. So how soon after praying for God's mercy do you make him the Lord of your life? I would say as quick as you can. Instantaneously, bow your knee, man. Bow your knee to him. Make him the Lord of your life. So wherever you are irrespective of time and calling out for his mercy. If you say, Pastor, pray for me, man, I hear God calling me. I need to walk. I need to mature. I need to become more like Christ. Say, pray for me. So just put your hand up. Pray for me, John. That's what I need. That's what I want God to do for me. So pray for me. So I would hope that everyone who hears that message, that would be your prayer and that would be your heart. So just look at me real quick and let me do this. If you prayed that first prayer, Here's what I want you to do on your way out of here this morning at all of our exits. You'll find people holding on to 
envelopes. They'll be white or they'll be gold color. They're standing at our exits. It's how to have a relationship with God. If you met your decision, if you need God's mercy and you need His grace and you need to be forgiven, then on your way out, stop there and grab that envelope. If you don't do it, no one will get that information to you. Say, why would I need it? Because if you want to have a relationship with God, there's a whole understanding of how that takes place and we'll help you with that. So if you meant the decision, grab the packet. No one will do anything weird to you. No one will follow you home. Get it. The second one just simply is this. Okay, I want to be a disciple. What would I do? Go back, think, listen, look at your notes, go to our website, listen to the messages that have been taught to you. Part of being a disciple, what is God saying? Do those things. So relationship is one of those things. Getting in community is one of those things. Bible study is one of those things. Church is one of those. I mean, there's... It, it's the gamut. It's not a thing. It's a whole life that God calls you to. So make the step. Make that next step. Talk to your campus pastor. Talk to the pastor that you know. Find out how to do that. We'll just trust that God will lead us into deeper and greater things than this. So the last thing then, as I let you go, we talked that this is the weekend we'll receive the offering um, for the flood victims up in northern Colorado, really all around our state in different places. So if you want to give towards that, then on your way out of here today, when you drop your offering off, make sure and mark on the envelope what you want to go for that. Let me encourage you, don't take your tithe and put it towards that. That helps nobody. It doesn't allow us to do more. In fact, if anything, it allows us to do less. This is giving that goes above and beyond that. If you want to be involved, if you want to be boots on the ground and the hands and the heart of Christ in the flesh, what would you do? Here's what you do. Speak to your campus pastor this weekend. Your campus pastor will have information, how you can be involved, whether you want to go up and help people, you want to go up and just help people move stuff, you want to, whatever. We have the gamut of that. We're connected to several churches up there that have uh, a good plan in place to be able to do ministry. See your campus pastor. All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks for being here today. God bless.